in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. And our Kickstart Age kids, our fourth and fifth graders, Kyle's waiting for you in the back. You guys can head on out of here and have a great time with him. But it's great to be uh, worshiping with all of you this morning. Uh, I'm so grateful to have each of you here. And I wanted to just share just uh, two thank yous uh, real quick. The first one is I just wanted to thank everybody who was a part of our Easter weekend last weekend. It really was a uh, just a fantastic time um, that we had. God was present. We were able to share Jesus and his kingdom with our, our church family, with our neighbors here. And whether you were um, a greeter on, on any of those days, you were on the worship team, you know, our LSC kids volunteers, if you helped stuff eggs or were at the egg venture, you just prayed. I just want to tell you thank you for just being a part of uh, just a great weekend of sharing Jesus. But I also wanted to um, share a very special thank you also to, excuse me, to, to Meredith and to Krista and Julie and Angela. They put together a ladies' night on Friday night, and um, from everything I heard, that it was just a wonderful time. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm excited just about what, uh, just what God is doing and, and stirring up. It, it really is, um, I, I, I tell you, I'm so appreciative of the church family that, that God has assembled here um, at Livingstone's and uh, re really thankful for each of you. So we are continuing this morning our series that we have been calling Cringe, the Uncomfortable Words of Jesus. And as we've been talking about in this series, there's, there's a lot of times where, where Jesus said things that just kind of made the, the room uncomfortable, where, where he would say something that was not expected. He would say something that challenged maybe the status quo or maybe what people had kind of thought or believed, and it really started to make things uncomfortable. And, and how often Jesus would say the exact opposite of what people were expecting him to say. Where if you think of the number of times that the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, they would try to trap Jesus into saying something that would indict him, that would get him into trouble in one way or another. And, and they had this, this idea, they had this plan and this thought out of, all right, all right, if he says this, well, then now we got him. And so often he would completely turn the tables. He, like, he would totally change it on them where, where it actually, like he began to challenge them. He, he you know, would share the exact opposite of what they thought he was going to say. And, and if we're honest, if we read through the, the red letter words in our Bible, if we read through the words of Jesus, he does and he says things a lot of times that do make everyone around him feel a bit uncomfortable. And, and it kind of reminded me of, of my grandma. She, she passed away, my mom's mom, she passed away about 13 years ago. And back when we lived in Milwaukee, uh, she lived in a, a small little city in Wisconsin called Sheboygan. It's about an hour north of Milwaukee. And when we would go up to visit grandma, we, we you know, like most grandmas, she had uh, a restaurant that she loved to go to. She loved to eat at, and, and we always, she always wanted to take us there. And so we, we were not going to let grandma pay when we took her out. And so her, her compromise was, all right, I'll let you pay if, if you let me pay the tip. And we were like, oh, all right, that sounds, that sounds fair. And so, you know, the meal would be done. They'd bring us our, our ticket. And let's say it'd be like, $40 or $50 or something like that, and we'd pay that, and then Grandma would reach into her, her purse and pull out whatever change she had and just put it down on the table. And so, like, on a, on a $40 or $50 bill, she'd put, like, 39 cents, like, down on, on the table. And, and you're just like, oh, this is kind of awkward now, isn't it? You know? And, and, and so, like, we, so me and my cousins, like, we kind of had this system where 
after the meal, like, we would escort Grandma, like, out to the car, and then a couple of us would, like, pull our wallets out and just try to put a couple dollars together so we could leave a tip because we were not going to leave 39 cents for, for the waitress that worked hard for us. And, and I'm not talking bad about her. Like, my Grandma, she was just a, a very kind and generous uh, woman. I miss her so much. But there were a lot of times kind of like that where, like, you know, they would just kind of, like, she would do that, and it just kind of like, all right, now what? You know, it just kind of felt really uncomfortable in the room. And, and there was a lot of times that Jesus would say things, and it had that, a very similar kind of feeling, just like, oh, man, now, now what? And, and, and so this morning, we're going to take a look at <clears throat> two commandments that Jesus is addressing. And, and really, like, on, on the surface of them, they, they really don't seem that controversial, what, what he initially brings up. He, he shares these in the Sermon on the Mount, which was uh, probably Jesus' famous teaching that, that he ever did. Um, there's, a, there's a mountain in, uh, in Israel that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. Today it's called the Mount of Beatitudes. And it's believed that Jesus kind of gave this teaching while he was on this mountain. And, and in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of what Jesus does is He's challenging some assumptions and some things that, uh, that, that, that his believers, that his followers had learned, had, had been taught, and he was completely countering a lot of those things, really kind of painting a, a different picture about what the kingdom of God looks like versus what the kingdom of this world looks like. And, and so, he, like I said, he began to challenge some of the assumptions and beliefs that his followers had. And so the two commandments that we're going to look at that he was addressing, that Jesus was going to discuss they really kind of seem like they wouldn't be that difficult for us to keep. You know, like I, I would say most of us probably, you know, would say, all right, you know, that's, that's not too bad. But one of the things that Jesus was, was so often, that he often did when he was teaching is he raised the bar on it. He, you know, where, where he would kind of say, you know, he, he would say, all right, you've heard it said this way. And everybody would nod their head and agree. He's like, but actually I'm saying this. And he would raise the bar so high that it, that it just felt like, man, what he is asking, like that, 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 that feels really hard. It feels incredibly uncomfortable. And so we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And, and Jesus, he begins, he says, You have heard that your ancestors were told, you must not murder. And if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. And, and I think most of us would agree, you know, that's, that's a good law. You know, we, we should live by, by that rule. We're like, we shouldn't go around murdering people, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I'm worried about what I might see if I do. But, I, but I, for the sake of argument, we're just going to assume everybody in the room has not murdered anybody. And, and so, like, we would say, yeah, this is probably a pretty easy one for most of us to, to keep. We're not going to violate this one. And just as in our day, you know, what Jesus was saying, he's like, all right, if, if you took the life of somebody else, you're going to stand in judgment. You're going to stand before a judge who's going to make a determination of what's going to happen with you from, from there on. And, and, and at this point, you know, most of his, his followers, the people that were hearing him teach are probably nodding their heads in agreement, saying, yeah, you know, we have heard that. I agree we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't murder, uh, you know, other people. They should be subject to, to judgment. That, that's a great law for us to live by. But this is where Jesus goes and, and he ups the ante. Where he says, all right, so you heard it say that we shouldn't murder. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. You're like, ooh, 
Man, like, all right. Now, if I asked you to raise your hand about any of those, if you've ever been angry with somebody, if you've ever called somebody an idiot, maybe you did on your way to church today. Like, who gave this idiot their license? Like, what in the world? Like, I, if you've ever, like, cussed somebody out. Like, man, like, what, Jesus is kind of taking this idea that, this, that, that has vir- vers- uh, virtually universal acceptance. That, that almost every culture throughout time has said, all right, we should not take the life of another human being. Like Jesus is taking this, and he's taking it to a whole nother level. And, and how often, like, do we, we, do we take the idea of murder to justify our other sins? Like, I, I've said this before. I, I know I did that, but at least I didn't kill somebody. Like, has anybody ever said that? But like, yeah, we, like we've, we've all said that. All right, yeah, maybe I cheated on my taxes, but, but at least I didn't kill somebody. And Jesus, he's kind of raising the bar. It's almost like saying, all right, so you think you're so good. You think, all right, just because you haven't killed somebody that you're all right. He says, well, well, think again. You know, we might have this idea, well, I'm, I'm not, at least I'm not as bad as the guy next door. At least I'm not as bad as the guy who is in prison for taking the life of somebody else. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If, you are, if you've even been angry with someone you're just as guilty. It's, it's every bit as bad as going and taking the life of somebody else. The first point I want you to write down if you're following along on our app or if you're taking notes is that the law said you shall not murder, but Jesus was sh- saying you shall not want to murder. And, and let's just be real for a moment. I wonder if anybody in the room has ever wanted to murder somebody else. Like, you might learn a little bit more about your pastor than you want to today, and I hope you'll come back next week. But, but there's times the thought has crossed my mind. You know, and, and maybe if I can't do the deed myself, if somebody else did it, I wouldn't be all that upset about it. I wouldn't be that disappointed. You know, like, I, I, I might not want to be the one responsible for it. But if somebody else did, you know, like, okay. You know, like, and, and again... Like, we, we, we tend to want to, like, justify ourselves. Like, all right, oh, I'm, I'm not going to do that, that heinous act, but, man, I've sure wanted to. I may not like that person. I can't stand that person. Maybe I even hate that other person. And I don't want to spend the rest of my life in jail, but, man, if I could get away with it, man, it'd be tempting. I, I hope you still love me after this. <laughs> I really do. I, I'm just... I. I'm just going to be real with you. But, but Jesus, is say, Jesus is saying, I don't even want you entertaining the thought about it, though, either. Like, like even if you become angry with someone, he says, you're in danger of judgment. Man, that's a pretty harsh standard that he is setting right there, that just being angry with someone. And if you remember in the first week of the series, we talked about how Jesus said that his burden was light, that his yoke was easy. And he's saying this, and he said, man, that doesn't feel anything like being easy or light. And, and we've talked about this before, that, that anger in and of itself is not a sin. In our, in our um, uh, Inside Out series we did last summer, we, did, we spent a whole message talking about anger, and we said that anger in and of itself is not a sin, but man, it can really lead to sin very quickly. If we don't deal with that anger, if we don't deal with, with those emotions and those thoughts, it can lead to sin. And I'm sure every one of us, if we're honest, we could identify times where our anger got away from us. And it led to some sinful behavior. If we don't deal with it, if we don't start to, to process and work through that anger, it starts to take over. We start to say words that, 
that we regret, that we wish we could take back, or maybe we start to, to do something that we wish we could go back and undo. And things begin to spiral out of control. Like we've all been angry with someone before. I'm quite certain we've probably all called somebody an idiot before. If we've all cursed at somebody at one time or another. And Jesus is saying, man, that is just as bad as taking their life. And you're like, man, how do we even handle it? Like, what, what, do we, what do we even do with what Jesus is saying here? Now, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, John actually writes, he says, anyone who claims to be in the light, anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, but hates a brother or sister, is actually still in darkness. And I want you to write this down, that following Jesus and hatred are incompatible. Truly following after Jesus and having hatred in our, in our hearts and in our lives are in, is incompatible. Like Jesus, he's the, he's the essence of love, and hatred is the opposite of that. 1 John chapter 4 says that God is love, which would mean hatred is the exact opposite of what God is, of who he is. Jesus takes the external, this idea of murder. He says, I actually want to go a little bit deeper here. It's easy for me to think, all right, I'm not so bad just because I've not done the actual act. I've not done the actual deed. That is not a problem for me. But Jesus, he says, all right, simply keeping the law isn't enough. I actually want you to keep the spirit of the law as well. I don't want you just to, to do the right thing, but I want you to keep the spirit behind why that law is there. I don't want you to just not do the act, but I want you to help prevent those, those thoughts and your attitudes in your heart as well. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, he says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And, and what Paul is saying here is the same thing that Jesus was saying. He's saying, all right, I want you to take care of it. I want you to deal with that anger. I want you to deal with, with that, that frustration that you have. Don't let it become an issue. If, you're letting, if you have anger in your heart towards somebody, don't let it fester. But work through it. Deal with it. Process it. You know, one of the things that Angela asked me to do every night before we go to bed is just to go and check the locks on the doors. Make sure the doors are locked. Does everybody lock your doors at night? Does anybody not lock your doors at night? All right, all right, we know we're coming to the Landry's house. If we, if we need any, then, yeah, all right, we, we know where to go now. So I didn't mean to call you out, but, <laughs> but, but what Paul is kind of saying here, he's saying, hey, like, when you're going to make the rounds at night to make sure the doors are locked, and if I came to the front door, not only did I see the front door open, but I saw a boot sticking between the door and the door jam. none of us are going to be like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I'm going to bed. Like, no, we, we would deal with it. We'd say, all right, what is that boot connected to? Like, we, we would deal with that situation before we're going to go to bed. And, and that's kind of what Paul is saying. He's saying, no, you have to deal with it. You have to deal with this issue before it becomes a much bigger thing. And, and the question I, I've been asking myself, the question I would pose to us this morning, is are, are, am I giving the devil a foothold because I have unresolved anger in my life? Am I giving the devil a foothold in my life because I have unresolved anger that I've not properly dealt with? Like it's easy for us to say, well, I'm all right, I'm good because I've never murdered somebody. 
But when, when we become angry with them, when we're, when we're calling somebody names, when we're cussing somebody out, is that anger turning into sin in my life? You know, Jesus is saying, all right, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I'm actually saying, I don't even want you to, to harbor that anger. Calling those names, cussing somebody out. But, but Jesus, he's actually not even done yet because it actually gets a little more uncomfortable the more we read this. In verse, skipping down to verse 27, he says, he says, you've heard again. He's bringing this up again. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In his heart. And his listeners, his followers would be like, all right, yeah, we know we ought to be faithful in our marriage. We should keep our marriage vows. We shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. But again, Jesus is raising the bar. He's saying, I don't want you just to refrain from committing adultery. But he's going even deeper than that. Have you, have you looked at someone lustfully? Have you been desiring them, coveting them? Are you, are you acting with them in an inappropriate way at all? Being flirtatious, giving off signals. Like Jesus is raising the bar again. And, and it's because, and this is the next point I want you to write down, what I'm looking at and what I'm thinking about matters. What I'm looking at and what I'm thinking about matters. Like we've all gotten kind of a, a lousy Christmas gift at one time or another, and we say, oh, you know what, it's the thought that counts. Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's the thought that counts. Not just, not just the act itself. What we're looking at, what we're thinking about matters. This idea of, oh, you know what, this thought just popped into my head. You know, it, it's just my thoughts. It's no big deal. Or, hey, I just looked at that thing on the internet. I'm not really hurting anybody. So what difference does it make? And Jesus is saying, no, it does make a difference. It does matter. Again, Jesus isn't just concerned with the action, not just the act of murder, not just the act of adultery. He's going for the heart of the issue confronting the, the core of the issue that actually leads to the act itself. We, we tend to look at the outside. You know, we, we look at the external. And, and, and man, it's easy for us to clean up the outside. Like, we can come to church, and if you have hair, you can have all your hair in place. And, it, like, we can put on a good show. We can put on a good facade. Make everybody think things are going really well. When, in fact, they're not at all. Like, it's, it's easy for us to take care of the outside, the external. We're good at that. But God's looking at the heart. God, God's looking at the internal things. It, it's fine to do the right thing. But if your heart is wrong, it's still wrong. So Jesus, is, he's kind of saying, all right, examine yourself. Like, what, what's, what is our heart on the issue? What are our motives? And Jesus, like, it, it appears he's raising the bar so high that it feels completely unattainable. Like, you read through the Old Testament, you read through the law, and you say, man, how could anybody keep that? And then you hear what Jesus is saying, and say, all right, he's making it impossible now. Like, none of us. We, couldn't, we, we, we can't go through life not being angry with somebody. We can't go through life not having a lustful thought. But Jesus wants to get to the heart of the matter, the heart of of the issue because he knew something about human nature. Like we're great at finding loopholes. We're great at justifying things. Like I, I was thinking about this, like if you, if, you, if you had a kid and you caught him eating a cookie, you say, all right, why are you eating a cookie? They say, well, you didn't tell me that I couldn't. You're like, oh, 
Okay, yeah, I guess technically, no, I didn't tell you you couldn't. But the heart behind it, what was the heart actually behind that? And so, and so what do we do with that? Like, what, 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 do, we, what do we possibly do when, when he says, all right, if, you, if you've had anger in your heart towards somebody, it's every bit as bad as murdering them. If you've had a lustful thought towards somebody, it's every bit as bad as committing adultery. Like, what do we do with that? Well, the good news is Jesus has an answer for us. He goes on to say, So, if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, well, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. I read that, and you're kind of like, Ron Burgundy, you're like, man, that escalated quickly. You know, like, wow, you're just talking about your thoughts, and all of a sudden now we're gouging out eyes and cutting off hands, and like, man. Like, like Jesus, like, all right, I, I was with you here. I was maybe feeling a little bit convicted. You know, I was, I was evaluating myself. And then you're saying, man, here's the solution. Gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. Like, and, and, you know, like, we're thinking, all right, am I supposed to take that literally? Like, really? Like, Jesus, are, are you really mean for us to do that? That's the solution to the sin problem we have? And, and I, I would say this, when we study Scripture, we need to take literally the parts that were meant to be taken literally and take figuratively the parts that were figurative here. And, and I would suggest to you to not take this literally. Please? You know, like, and, and not for yourself nor for anybody else. Like, oh, hey, I got a solution for your sin problem here. Come on over to my house. We'll do a little at-home surgery. No, don't do that. Like, I, I don't believe that Jesus is asking us to mutilate our bodies, but he is trying to get our attention. He, he's trying to say, hey, wake up a minute. You, you think sin is such a small thing. It's, such, it's not a big deal. He said, no, no, it is a big deal. Like, I, I, would rather, I would rather you gouge out your eye than to look lustfully at somebody. I, I would rather you go to these extreme measures than to have these kinds of attitudes in your heart. But here's the problem, and we all know this. We could gouge out an eye. We could gouge out both eyes. We could cut off both hands, and it's not going to keep us from sinning. Because sin isn't a matter of the eye. It's not a matter of the hand. Sin's a heart issue. Sin is a heart issue. Like you, you could, we could gouge out both eyes, we could cut off both hands. But if we don't deal with the heart issue, it's just going to continue. Jesus, he's exaggerating this to prove a point that, that we should do what we can necessary to avoid sin, to take it seriously, to stop downplaying it, and stop justifying it. Well, at least I've not killed anybody. When he's saying, no, you're just as guilty as if, somebody, if you did the act itself, he, he doesn't mean for us to, to cut off our hand or gouge out an eye. He's saying, no, no, I, I want you to take this seriously. And whether it's the action of killing somebody or it's the inward attitude of hate and anger towards them, if, it, if it's the attitude of adultery or the inward attitude of lust, he's saying, I want to get to the root of the issue. Because your eye is not the source of your sin. Your hand is not the source of 
the sin in your life. It's a heart issue. It's a heart matter. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And, and we say cutesy things about the heart, you know, like, oh, well, just follow your heart. I say, man, that's terrible advice. Because if I followed my heart, I'd probably be in prison. Like, I would do all kinds of stupid, terrible things if I just followed my heart, if I just followed the things that I wanted to do. That instead of following my heart, actually following what Jesus was actually saying. Sin starts in my heart. And so the next point I want you to write down is our actions are just a reflection of our hearts. The things that come out, the things that we do, are a reflection of where our hearts actually are. It's not just, it's not just the action in and of itself that, that we might find horrible or reprehensible. Like our, our actions, the things that we do, are actually the logical conclusion of those things that are already in our hearts. And Jesus' whole point in this portion and in this teaching is saying, I, I don't want you to focus so much just on the action that you miss out on the heart issue that's behind it. Because what happens in the heart eventually will come out in your actions. Murder is an action that starts in the heart. Lying is an action that starts in the heart. Cheating is an action that starts in the heart. Adultery is an action that starts in the heart. Theft is an action that starts in the heart. And Jesus, Jesus said that same exact thing in, in Mark chapter 7, verse 20. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. Now, now let me just say this for a moment. Jesus, he's, he's actually countering what some of the religious leaders were saying at this moment, where, where they were talking about, you know, you're defiled by the things that you touch or the things that you eat. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's, it's, not the, it's not the external things that defile you. He says it's what comes from inside that does. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile us, not, not the external things. He's saying they all come from something inside. Again, he's trying to get to the root of the matter. But, but Jesus in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, the New Promise, he's saying, I'm not so much after your actions as I am after your heart. Because if we deal with the heart issue, the actions will follow. And so often, what we try to do is we try to fix the action first. And say, all right, stop doing that. And then my heart will follow. And then if we deal with the heart first, the action will follow. I don't want you just to do the right thing, but I want your heart to be right. Because if your heart is right, you'll begin to do the right thing. I, 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 hope, I hope that makes sense. It, it's the thought that counts. Because if we focus on the action, we're already too late. If we focus just on the behavior, we're already too late. And, and here, let me tell you, at Livingstone's, I have no desire for us to be a place of behavior modification, where as a church we just come and we learn how to, how to put on a good face. We learn how to act and how to behave, how to do the right things. Because it's, it's, I mean, that, that stuff's easy to do. It's easy to try to fix up the outside and fix the actions and fix the behaviors, to clean up the outside and, and make things look pretty. 
But on the inside, our heart, our heart could still be rotten to the core. But when we begin to change our heart, when we, when we begin to surrender our heart completely over to him, our actions will begin to change. The actions will follow. And so the last thing I want you to write down this morning is this. We, we need to stop the thought before it becomes an action. You know what Scripture talks about, that we need to take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. And, and I was talking with somebody this week, and we were sharing about this idea, and it's uh, kind of a, a Christian-y fra- Christianese phrase, but talking about like accountability groups and having an accountability partner. And, and as we were talking, one of the things I said to him was, you know, most people don't need you to point out the things they're doing wrong in their life. Well, there are exceptions, but for the most part, people don't need you to tell them how wrong they are. They don't need you to tell, they don't need you to correct their behavior. Uh, what I think the much more valuable, the much more important part of having those types of conversations is asking why. You know, why did you do that thing? Well, what was it that caused you to make that decision? What was it that led up to that thing that you did? Like, I'm not so much concerned about that, that, that behavior, that action that you did, but what was the heart reason for actually pursuing it in the first place? Because if we can get to the heart of the issue, that's what Jesus was talking about. If we can deal with the heart issue, the action part will follow. And asking ourselves that question, why? Why, why does this continue to be an issue in my life? Why am I feeling angry uh, and why do I keep getting angry about this one thing? Why do I keep getting angry at this one person? Why do I keep running to food? Running to alcohol? Running to the internet? Running to the phone? Running to a relationship? If I can get to the why behind it, if I can, if I can start to address and look in the mirror and deal with some of the heart issues behind why I'm going there, prayerfully, I'll stop going there so often. There won't be, there, there, it won't be perfection. But what Jesus is saying is, I want, I want to deal with the heart issue first before, before the behavior issue. That's, that's what Jesus is after. And while these words that, that he was saying may feel a little uncomfortable at first glance, if you're angry, you're every bit as guilty as, as murdering somebody. If you've had a lustful thought, you're every bit as guilty as somebody who committed adultery. Like, while that might seem really harsh, what Jesus is really trying to say is, I want you to examine the heart behind it. What's the heart behind the heart issue that's behind the behavior, not the behavior itself. And so I want to finish just with a close with one final thought this morning. And if you've, if you've never read Psalm 51, I'd, I'd highly encourage you to do so. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful psalm that, that David wrote. And, and David, he actually offers a very simple prayer in it that I think would be wise for each of us to incorporate into our, our prayer lives on, on a daily basis. Because let me tell you, David wrote Psalm 51 after he had actually committed both the very sins that Jesus was talking about. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he committed murder by having Bathsheba's husband killed in battle. Like, he committed both those very things that Jesus was talking about. And in this Psalm 51, this Psalm of Repentance, verse 10, he, sa- he, he says, 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Wouldn't that be a a, a beautiful thing, a valuable thing for us to pray every day? God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Not just, Lord, help me not to do that thing. That thing that, that, that I've, I've prayed about and I've asked you to, to remove from me time and time again. Instead of, instead of saying, Lord, God, help me to stand strong so I don't go to, go to that website, so I don't act flirtatiously with my secretary, so, that, so I don't um, lash out in anger at my kids. Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Instead of dealing with the action, the behavior, the issue, God, help me to deal with the heart first. Help me to deal with the heart first. Because as David knew and as Jesus knew, if our heart is right, our actions will follow. And I'll tell you, like so many of the uncomfortable teachings that Jesus had, that he shared, he's after way more than the external. You read through the Sermon on the Mount, almost all of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Sermon on the Mount is talking about the heart issue, not the actual behavior, not the actual action itself. That's what Jesus is after. He's after our hearts. He's after what's internal, not what's external. So would you bow your heads and allow me just to, to pray for us as a, as a church family this morning? Lord, I, I thank you, God, so much. God, just for the way that you walk with us, Lord, that you didn't come to condemn the world, Lord. You came to, to save the world, God, through you. And, and, and Lord, that, that while these, these teachings might seem hard and they might seem difficult, Lord, that we know, God, that your, your desire, Lord, it, it, you're asking us to, to come walk with you, to be a part of, of life with you, to, to live life differently. And, and so much of the world, Lord, so, so, so much of, of what we do in, in the kingdom of this world is, is we focus on the external. We focus on, on the behavior and the action. God, what I'm asking you to do is help us to examine our hearts. That we would really be open enough and, and, and say, all right, why? Why is this an issue? What, what is it about this thing that, that it keeps coming up? Why do I keep running to that thing? So Lord, I, I just pray for our church family. That maybe, maybe, maybe we are dealing with, with anger and hatred. Maybe we're dealing with lust. Perhaps greed. Perhaps pride. And Lord, in, instead of the, the external actions of, of what that looks like, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts of where, that, where that's coming from. Why are those an issue? And Lord, as, as a family, Lord, that we would just surrender our hearts to you anew. God, that we would pray that same thing that David said. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Be more focused on the interior, on the internal than on the external. And Lord, when, when we see those things, when they come to mind, God, that we would turn them over to you and ask you, not just to end the behavior, but Lord, to deal with the heart that leads to it. God, I'm grateful for you. Grateful for the, the journey and the work that you have us on, that we're, we're always a work in progress, Lord. 
God, that you love us just as we are. But you also love us enough not, not to want us to stay there either. So God, I'm grateful for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to get ready to take communion here in just a moment. And, and one of the things I, I just mentioned in that prayer was the idea that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Like the, the, these difficult teachings that Jesus had, it wasn't meant as condemnation. It wasn't make, meant to make you feel guilty or worse about yourself, to make it harder to, to do this thing. What he's actually doing in the middle of these difficult teachings, he's extending an invitation. It's not condemnation, it's an invitation. In, in a way, he, he's kind of saying, living with me, it, it's, it's a better way. With me, things look different, they sound different, they feel different. It's one of the things that I, that I love about Jesus, that he doesn't demand obedience. Jesus doesn't demand performance, he doesn't demand love and worship. He invites us to do those things. He, he's painting a picture of what life in his kingdom can look like. And he's saying, I want you to join me in this. I want you to sit with me. I want you to eat with me. I want you to walk with me. I'm extending my hand. I'm extending an invitation. Will you take this? And that's what we're going to do here in, in just a moment as we partake of communion that this is an invitation as well. That Jesus says he's inviting us to come partake in the juice and the, and the cracker that represents his body and his blood. And he's not inviting a select few. He invites us all. Like we, we practice an open communion here. Like you don't have to be a member of of Livingstone's church to come and be a part of, of communion and take the elements. He's extending a hand. He's extending an invitation. says, come. Come, I want you to come to this table with me. And so in just a moment, I'm, I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, the, the ushers will come forward. They're going to set the trays out as I'm praying. And there will be one here for juice. One, one has a, a cracker in it. And I want you to feel free. Like, you, you can come and take the elements here up at the table. You can take them back to your seats, whatever you feel most comfortable with. But as we do it today, I want us to do it as an act of, of worship, as an act of remembrance. So let me just pray and then we will come forward, the band will play and we'll take communion together. Lord, thank you. God, thank you for these communion elements, this, this cracker, this juice, Lord, that represents your body and your blood. God, thank you for the invitation that you give to us, Lord, that you don't, you're, you're not offering condemnation, you're offering an invitation into a life with you. And so God, as we come forward, as, as we partake of the, the juice and the, and the cracker here today, Lord, that we would be remembering you and what it is you did for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.